For our scripture reading this morning, we turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah 12. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And we consider verse 1 of this chapter. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this chapter in the book of Isaiah prophesies of a day in the future when the people of God will make a vow and will urge one another to sing praises unto the Lord. Our specific text concerns the vow. It prophesies that the children of God will vow, O Lord, I will praise Thee, and I will trust. But this will go on to also be an urging of one another to praise the Lord, sing unto the Lord, cry and shout. That day refers to the coming day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This day dawned and began with the incarnation of God's own beloved Son who was born into the world. This is a day that comes when Jesus Christ returns, having not only been born, but suffering, and having died, having been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, He returns. He returns to conclude all earthly history in that day often referred to as the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a day that never ends. 
in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He perfects the kingdom of God and brings it to eternal joy, gives to the people an inheritance in the new heavens and a new earth. And in that day, that eternal day, they shall praise and glorify God. Among the many things that the people of God will eternally praise God for and rejoice in and make vows to praise God is that His anger is turned away. Thine anger is turned away. Having been delivered from this world of sin and death and all of its power, having been delivered from this world where even the animals are at war and at odds, having been delivered from many enemies who oppress, who destroy, who bring down, having been delivered from the devil who has tormented us since that first day, this text makes clear there is one great thing that the people of God therefore praise God and glorify Him and that is His anger, God's anger, even God's anger against them is turned away. Consider with me that this morning. His anger turned away and we notice in the first place the salvation that that is. Secondly, the proof of that. And lastly, the praise of God for that. This chapter that we read is a song. It is a hymn of thanksgiving and praise unto God. A godly hymn and song because it praises God for salvation. It rejoices and takes joy in that salvation. Specifically, it praises the act of God saving His people from a great enemy and threat against them. That's evident because the theme throughout this chapter is salvation. It speaks of God who is become my salvation, who is my salvation. It declares that God is strength in whom we draw the waters out of the wells of salvation. This salvation is the excellent thing that this passage says He has done in all the earth, and even the world sees it. And that's evident also from the historical context of this passage and from the actual history to which it refers. It looks forward to a day when the people of Judah, who are still alive, will be released after 70 years of captivity in Babylon and allowed to come home on a highway like as the great highway that God made in the desert for the people of God to come out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. God will raise up the temple that the enemy has destroyed and rebuild the walls of Zion. There in the land of Canaan that they were removed from, they will again worship God. They will rebuild their homes and again work the land. 
So the salvation and deliverance that the passage talks about is a salvation and deliverance from an enemy. An enemy that at this time, still in the future, would kill untold millions or untold numbers of men and women and children. It's an enemy that would set their strongholds on fire, would destroy the walls of their city, burn down the gates, would burn down their temple and destroy it, would strip their city and its temple of anything of value and cart it off to Babylon. It was an enemy that would slay their young men with a sword and would take their children and dash them upon the rocks. An enemy that would rip up their pregnant women and leave them and their unborn child to die. This was deliverance from an enemy that would deprive them of all the joys and blessings of living in the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. It would remove them as being inhabitants of Zion, remove them from the rich inheritance that God had given unto them after having delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, a land that God had given in His grace, a land that God had given them wherein they could marry and raise families and children and worship God who dwelt there in Zion. This enemy would take that all away from them. This, of course, is a type and a picture of a reality which is God's salvation from the bondage and the power, the destructive power of sin. A type of sin that takes the life of untold numbers of men, women, and children even in the church and in the world everlastingly because the wages of sin is death. A type of sin which takes away all of our freedoms and all of our liberty and makes us slaves. Takes away our ability to worship God, to love God, to follow after God. Takes our heart, turns it to stone, turns our heart against God. A power that takes us and makes us use all of the gifts and faculties that God gives us and turns them into the service of sin. Sin that deprives us even of our inheritance. Deprives us of life with God. Deprives us of the joy that we ought to have in this life. Deprives us of all blessings. Even more amazingly is the salvation that is sung about here is a salvation and a deliverance from the anger of God. The praise, the vows, and the urging to praise is not simply praise of a salvation of God that delivers us from sin as such, and the power of sin and its destruction 
and its loss of liberty, but that which lies behind it, which is the anger of God. I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away. This is the anger of God against sin and the sinner. It is the anger of God that is the cause of all that death and destruction. It is the anger of God that brings about all of that loss and all of that pain and all of that sorrow. First of all, because God is a righteous God. All sin is against God. All sin is rebellion against God. All sin is hatred of God. And God is a righteous God. Sin is against the goodness of God. Sin is against the holiness of God. Sin is against the authority of God. And the anger of God is His righteous reaction to that hatred, that enmity, that rebellion, that blasphemy, that opposition to Him and His glory. It is His reaction against sin and the sinner. And the purpose of that anger and the intent of that anger and the expression of that anger is to destroy sin and the sinner and to do so everlastingly and forever. That's the anger that is talked about when there is a song even Thou wast angry with me. This is a righteous anger. An anger that, that God directed not simply against the ungodly and the reprobate but against me, a child of God, against the nation of Israel. That anger of God came against them because they had become just like the peoples and nations of the earth. They had served their gods, worshipped their gods, promoted their gods, even dragged their gods into their own temple where God's name was. God was angry with them because He had delivered them. He had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. He had delivered them from the oppression of Pharaoh. He had brought them through the wilderness on dry ground through the Red Sea, through the desert, waste howling, with shoes on their feet and clothing on their backs and their bellies full, and then gave them a land occupied by nations mightier and greater than they. With a great deliverance, God gave them their houses and their homes, their fields, the milk and honey that previously they had drunk and eaten. God had made Jerusalem His home, raised up Zion, built there a wonderful temple, given them mighty kings, made them rulers over nations. But Israel had forgotten. Israel had turned away from God. Israel had sinned and sinned greatly against God. And he was angry with them. Righteous anger against them. And you see, that's always the way it is. It is the righteous anger of God 
that always explains the destructive power and effects of sin. You see, in his anger against the sinner who loves sin and thinks he can sin against God with impunity, who laughs at God, who scorns God, who attributes power to the powerless, who bows down before idols of gold and silver, God gives that sinner over to his sin. He gives him over to his sin to experience what sin really does. So that that sin more and more consumes that individual, makes him slave more and more to the devil, carries him more and more down into the fires of hell where his anger burns forever. That's what God's doing. And if you think that that is simply an Old Testament thing, that the fulfillment of this text is such that this doesn't happen anymore today, you are gravely mistaken. The church today cannot sing, Thine anger is turned away, without acknowledging God's anger against us. We sing not simply, Thou wast angry with those Old Testament Israelites, those fools back then, those people who were so foolish as to drag idols of gold and silver into their home and worship them, who were so ungrateful but not us. Well, that person cannot say, I praise thee because thine anger is turned away. And let's not misunderstand the passage at all. Sickness is an expression of God's anger. All sickness. It is the righteous anger of God against sin and the sinner that explains when you and I get sick and when we die. It explains why we lose children and our spouse. Why we lose property and wealth. It explains why a church can be rent with schism. The righteous anger of God against sin and the sinner explains why the church can be overrun by enemies, why the church can be overrun by the same sins that plague the world, why the church can be overrun by enemies so that the people of God are overtaken by sexual sins, even homosexuality, why members can become addicted to substances that destroy them. It explains why there's separation and divorce and abuse and marriages in the church. It explains why there's adults who abuse children in the church sexually. It explains all of that evil. When the people of God see that, any of it, they must say, Thou wast angry with us. God is angry with me. God is angry with us. The reason's the same. No different in the New Testament church. 
Because the people of God are sinners too. And our sin is much greater than that of Egypt and Babylon. Even though we ought to react with horror at the things they did to the people of God. Our sins are worse because our God has delivered us in a very real sense. Our God delivers us from the bondage of Egypt. Also, our God has delivered us merely out of grace and mercy from a great bondage of sin and death. That's what we confess. That's what we say. That's the God whom we claim to worship. That He's given us the richest inheritance that one could possibly have. The inheritance of an everlasting kingdom. Read about that kingdom in chapter 11 when you get home. Even from an earthly point of view, our God gives us more earthly riches than we can count. And what do we do? We sin. And all sin, all of it, is ingratitude. We are unthankful, and just as unthankful as Old Testament Israel. We find it difficult to go up to Zion and worship God. We find it easy to take pleasure and all the riches God has given us. We make idols of His gifts. If you want to know why what goes on in the church goes on, the answer is God is angry. And God is angry for the same reason that He's ever angry. Idols and idolatry ingratitude. But the people of God here sing. And the specific deliverance they sing about is thine anger is turned away. That's the specific deliverance. That's the specific thing that's in the mind of the people of God after all this. Take note of that. This prophecy is talking about a day in the future when there is absolutely no expression of God's anger in the world except one place called hell where in all the new creation in all the new world there is no expression of God's anger among the creatures in the mountains and hills and in the trees no expression of God's anger in the water and in the sky. No expression of God's anger among any of the citizens. Only one place will you find God's anger and where God's anger is not turned away. And that is hell. The everlasting expression of God's anger that's unturned, that continues forever and ever. Because this is, after all, the same righteous God. And you have to understand that when the child of God sings this, he has an eye on hell. He sees, as it were, his life and all of his living and his inheritance. He sees his family and his friends. And he sees God in the background. He sees God's anger burning still burning against sin and the sinner. And he recognizes that's where I ought to be.
I ought to be in that place where God's anger is not turned away. God's anger is turned away because everything is at peace. And now understand, too, there is another sense in which God's anger is turned away that is recognized here and that is recognized by us. And that is, God's anger is turned away and that the child of God comes to see his anger is momentary. It is temporary. It is, as we sang not so long ago, but for a moment. And you see, that's impossible. Impossible from any earthly and natural point of view. That can't happen. So that the child of God, even now, long before that coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as the Old Testament Israel, long before Christ even was born, was singing this song. Those that came back from Babylon sang this song, and the Messiah had not come yet. How could they do that? Because they recognized that the anger of God was turned away in this sense, that God's anger is but a moment. It will soon end. It is temporary. And in the second place, that anger works my good. It is for my profit. It is for my benefit. It is grace. God's anger is turned away and that God's anger becomes grace. It's not that the anger is gone. It's eliminated. But the entire nature of that anger changes. We considered repentance and the importance of repentance and the horror of rejecting that. Not only by the world, but in the church. And the horror of rejecting that is the horror of rejecting God's grace in His anger. That so great is our God and so important is repentance that God will do the things He has done to work it. God brought all those things upon Old Testament Israel because they refused to repent. And He virtually destroyed them. Well, He left a remnant. He left some. And in them God worked repentance so that they could sing this song. And God continues to do that today. What's the proof of this? Well, the proof is not that as people of God we only experience earthly blessings. That's often what we think is the sign, the proof that God's anger is turned away. God's anger is turned away because I've had a good year in my business. Because I'm healthy and not sick. Because I'm living a long time and not dying. Because my children are all healthy and happy. That would be a grave mistake. In fact, that was understood even by Old Testament Israel who lived in that type. The proof that God's anger was turned away was not merely that they returned from Babylon, not merely that God restored the temple and all of its worship. That's because they would sin again, and they knew it. They knew it on their way back from Babylon. There had to be a further fulfillment, a further expression that God's anger was turned away, further proof of that. We must understand that ourselves. Beloved, we must see something of the anger of God in the sufferings of this present life, see something of the power of sin and these expressions of the anger of God, even 
as we live now, is that not one of the things about which we were to examine ourselves this week? Did everyone consider himself his sin and the curse due to him for that? That he may loathe and humble himself and consider, consider that the wrath of God against sin is so great that rather than it should go unpunished, he hath punished the same in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You see, you cannot be thankful God's anger is turned away unless you recognize the expressions of it. And recognize that unless God turns his anger away in a very specific way, that anger continues forever and forever. It destroys and kills eternally. And we will see that in hell. Proof is that this has come in our Lord Jesus Christ through His birth, through His suffering, through His death, through His resurrection, through His ascension, and finally and perfectly in His coming again. That too was true even in the Old Testament. They saw that in what God was doing. They saw that even as they sinned when God was bringing them back. That's evident from the very name of God that's used here in this passage, the I Am, the Eternal One. You see, the Eternal God has an eternal anger and wrath against sin. And there is no salvation, there no, is no deliverance possible unless that anger is turned away. And we call that turning of the anger of God away satisfaction. Do we understand, beloved? That when we look at the things that happen in this life and say the foolish things that we say, like, well, they don't deserve that. Or worse, I don't deserve that. God is too angry with me. God is too angry with us that we don't know the first thing about the righteousness of God or our sin. The proper response is God has turned his anger away. Oh, Oh, he's not turned away his chastisement. He's not turned away the things he's doing. God will not hesitate for a second to destroy the institute of the church so that just a remnant remains. He will not hesitate to do that. He's done it once. We ought to learn the lesson. If you think that your home is safe and that you can turn God's anger away by your own living, that you can turn his anger away by what you do and that what you've done does that, you're sadly mistaken. You see, only God can turn his anger away and only God can turn his anger away in such a way that the expressions of it are for our good. Do you understand that that's what the children of God are singing about here? Look at the context. In the future, they're going to return. Oh yes, God had an enemy come and slay our men, women, and children, and dash our children against rocks. We deserve that. We sinned against him. We all did. That's what Daniel prayed. Included himself in that. Didn't exempt himself from that. And point fingers. Included himself in that. But God worked our repentance. God worked sorrow of heart. 
God brought us to our Lord Jesus Christ and to see that only God can take away his own anger. Only God can turn his anger into something that's grace and goodness and for our profit. So what's the proof? It's right there. It's right there at the table and you are called to believe that proof. To recognize your sin, not to excuse it, not to point the finger at others, not to say we're better in the New Testament than those Old Testament people. Well, they deserved what they got, but we don't. No. The reason you experience and I experience the things we're experiencing in the church and in the homes and in the families is God is angry against our sin. But God has turned our anger, his anger away. And that he uses it to work repentance in his elect. And those who are truly his own. And there's the proof. That's the praise then that God intends and works by the supper. Praise for the restoration of that which sin takes away. Restoration even of that which God takes away in his anger. This restoration and strengthening of life. The granting back of freedom, the freedom, the right, and the ability to worship Him, to glorify, to praise Him. This praise is the very proof, as it were, of God's own turning His anger away. Praise for the inheritance that sin takes away. Praise for life with God in a new heavens and earth. That's what we enjoy also in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper... There's a commemoration, a remembrance, a praising of God for what he has done, turning his own anger away. Can you imagine, beloved, the joy of the people of God who had watched God take a mighty nation like Israel, a nation that even the ungodly nations had to admire and looked upon and said, what their God has done is amazing. A glorious, wonderful life and freedom, and God took it and destroyed it all. God did that. God did it in His anger, and they knew it. But God brought some home. Can you imagine their joy? Can you imagine what they felt? And that's just a type. That's just a picture of the joy and the gladness that we ought to have at this great proof of God taking his anger away. Notice, too, it's directed at God himself, because God has done this. And God has done that in his grace. Let's do that this morning, beloved. Say, I will praise thee. I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away. And notice too, and thou comfortest me. That's the comfort of the proof of the Lord's table. Amen.